0: I think we should raise the support, because if Ukraine is losing this conflict, that will have the impact to Estonia too. Welcome
1: to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. I caught up with Estonia's top military commander, General Martin Haram, at the Halifax International Security Forum in November. Estonia is a NATO member that borders Russia, so I was interested in drawing out General Haram's perspective on the conflict in Ukraine. We kick off with General Haram's military and strategic analysis of the current state of play of the war in Ukraine. And his remarks come just a few weeks after his Ukrainian counterpart described the conflict as an effective stalemate. I ask if he shares that assessment and what can be done to break this so-called positional warfare. We then have an extended conversation about the implications of a long drawn-out war for frontline countries like Estonia and Europe more broadly. This is a thoughtful conversation with someone who holds a grounds-eye view of the military and political challenges that face Ukraine going into a potentially very long winter. A couple of quick notes before we start. First, feel free to reach out to me anytime using the contact button on globaldispatches.org. I love to hear from you. Please feel free to send me your suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover. Also, I have a limited number of Global Dispatches stickers. These are gorgeous vinyl stickers, four inches by four inches. I would be glad to send you one in the mail if you are a premium subscriber. Just reach out to me using the contact button on globaldispatches.org. Let me know your mailing address. If you are not yet a premium subscriber and would like to be one, either visit globaldispatches.org or upgrade your subscription directly in Apple Podcasts, or if you're listening on Spotify, by following the banner links directly in the Spotify app. Thank you. Now here is my conversation with Estonia's top military commander, General Martin Haram, recorded live at the Halifax International Security Forum. I want to kick off by getting your assessment of the current state of the conflict in Ukraine. Where do things stand now?
0: Starting from the lower level, I think what's happening over there is war of attrition right now. And they have reached this, it's not stalemate, but it's relatively static. So if they move one or other side, it's just hundreds of meters usually, and that's because both of them have had time to fortify, to build the obstacles, mines. And none of them have air superiority. And I think both of them have lack of skilled commanders who could organize the combined arms cooperation. So to put together infantry, artillery, air defense, engineers, and to advance. So because of this, every time they would like to Assault on a larger scale, bigger units—they become a target. So Ukrainians have the risk from the air, and the Russians have the risk from indirect fire. I think that's why it's quite a static, and it will stay so. At least I think from Ukrainian side, if they do not have some kind of surprising luck, all Russians will not—I don't know—run away like they did in um, almost a year ago in Kharkiv then all we need is Ukrainian air superiority. So they can cover up from the air the moment when they're going to do the breaching operation over the minefields or obstacles, and then the gang goes through the defense positions of Russian.
1: So it's your assessment that air superiority is what could break this current... You didn't use the word stalemate. Your Ukrainian counterpart, uh, Zaluzhny, inferred that there is a stalemate, likened this to trench warfare of World War I. Temporary. Temporarily. Even
0: he said that they need some time to get this
1: air superiority. And you've just now called this a war of attrition. That implies a long, drawn-out conflict. Yes. What are the security implications for Estonia and the rest of Europe should this become a very long and very drawn-out conflict?
0: Before that, I would describe our sea from a strategic level. Please. So, I, I think we have not realized entirely what kind of war it is. Because first, it is 1,200 kilometers of frontline. Second year, the Russians started this 300 plus thousand people. They have sent another 400,000 people during two years. And just, let's say, half of them been mobilized. The rest of them are pretty much, volunteers, recruited even their prisoners. So uh, the scale is enormous. I don't know which European or any other country can bring from somewhere 400,000 people. But the Ukrainians have sent also an enormous number. And if we say 1% of Russian population is 1.3 million, they have not reached to 1%. However, the Ukrainians have reached to 400,000, which is their 1%. Then it is so big scale, it's so big war, and at the same time, how much we have supported Ukraine. There is a calculation that Russia is spending every month $10 billion for war. The West, the Rammstein coalition, has supported just $5 million per month. So we do less than Russians. That's why I think it's too much to hope that Ukrainians will show us the very fast victory because we haven't supported them enough. And now we go to Estonia, or to our situation. Ukraine is in trouble because they never prepared for the war against Russia. We, the West, cannot support Ukraine because we haven't prepared properly for the war against Russia. And if you look to what kind of steps we have done in seeing this huge war, what the West has done during two years, There are 11 countries in NATO spending 2%. Estonia will buy this year or will sign the contracts for ammunition for 280 million euros. Mm -hmm. We'll spend 280 million euros next two or three years. That's more than 2%, presumably. That's much more. But the point is, in which place we are in Europe, among other countries, buying ammunition? And the answer is, I think it's we are first. If small a is buying the biggest amount of ammunition in Europe, then something's really wrong. And this is a message that Russia is sending to us all the time, but this behavior we do not take into account. We have time. It seems like we have time, which is completely wrong. So I mean, if we don't have time, and if this
1: conflict in Ukraine continues to become like a war of attrition and is a long war. what? security implications does that pose? Does that threaten Estonia? Absolutely. And how does that threaten Estonia? And how do you see it threatening the rest of
0: Europe? I think it doesn't matter how they end in Ukraine, the Russians. It doesn't matter what kind of victory or loss. The next what they want to do is just to test the NATO, or not test, to destroy the NATO. Not entirely, not by occupying any country, but doing something in the military which is enough painful for one or other country, one or other society to push us to the situation when we have, for example, in Estonian case, we have Estonian society after some kind of conflict against Russia, understand, different understandings, We are like splitting us, that we prepared enough, we prepared not enough, why our allies didn't help us, then politicians will say, bloody Latvians, they're very, very, very on the tech and Americans and so on. And that's how they destroy piece by piece the NATO. Actually. And that's what I think they can do just maybe one year when they have finished the war in Ukraine. Doesn't matter what result.
1: So part of the reason and the reason I think explicitly given by the Biden administration, why they were reluctant to provide certain munitions and certain types of weaponry to Ukraine earlier on was the risk of escalation. They didn't want to trigger an escalatory cycle that could potentially spiral out of control and make this a bigger conflict no longer contained to Ukraine. I'm really interested in speaking to you as a military professional. If there is an escalatory cycle, what would that look like in practice? Like, What scenarios have you gamed out in terms of what a spiraling conflict would look like?
0: It's a politics, but I think if we think so that we can escalate, then I say NATO escalated the war in Ukraine, which is ridiculous, but we can describe it so. NATO was moving their borders towards Russia, and so that's how they escalated, which is complete stupidity, because it's, we joined NATO, Estonia Latvia, Lithuania, not NATO invited us. We joined NATO because of Russia. And the same is with is the Ukraine. So actually we cannot escalate anything. The Russians will call it escalation, but actually we do not. We do right thing. We want to be free or we want to support each other. So we should not think about the escalation because Russians will find always the reason why they were right and we were wrong. So we should not worry about that. We should worry about our values.
1: Actually on that question, would you support Ukraine's admission to NATO?
0: Yes and no. Because I understand very well that if Ukraine becomes a NATO member today, then we have to start Article 5. I'm a military person. If my government says go to war, I go to war. But it's just, I want to say that everybody must understand that that means the war for all of us. Today, we are even not ready to support enough Ukraine. Again, just one example. The Rammstein coalition countries' defense budget is 15 times bigger than Russian defense budget. 15 times bigger. However, every month we support twice less than Russia too. So, we haven't showed our readiness to support Ukraine so seriously that they can win the war, free their country, defeat Russia. So, we, we haven't We've been even worried about this escalation, what we talk then about going to war against Russia. On the Ramstein coalition, this is like the
1: platform in which allied countries bring what they can to support Ukraine based on their own countries' experiences and capabilities and capacities. What specifically is Estonia's sort of niche or area of support in Ukraine? What's Estonia's contribution?
0: We have sent... All kinds of fighting capabilities on a lower scale. For example, we have sent more than 60 pieces of towed artillery, we have sent landmines, uh, all kinds of rifles, ammunition, including uh, javelin ammunition, uh, 155 artillery ammunition. So I think we have done what we had in our storages. But in the Estonian case, because we are so small, so it will not change the game, of course. So,
1: you know, one thing that could change the game is the failure of the United States Congress to pass a supplemental aid package, hotly debated, discussed. I'm not going to have you comment on, on U.S. politics. I, I know you won't, but there is a possibility that there is no further aid forthcoming anytime soon. What impact would that have on the conflict in Ukraine, in your assessment, if there is no more U.S. aid or if? this current supplemental is delayed indefinitely.
0: I don't think Russians can advance further or they can take much of territory what they have got already. So if Ukraine is missing the support from the West, then I would say we will get the frozen conflict on the line somewhere where they are today. But that also means, from our perspective, a lot of dead Ukrainians. At the moment when the Russians They do not care how much they lose, because that's what we see. I think even if uh, Russians lose two times more than Ukrainians, it's still not enough, because they stand it. They may even show their losses as a strength. We can lose, you cannot. So we will continue. Once more, during two years, they have sent 400,000 replacement soldiers. Which country in Europe? or in America can do something of this. We had in Afghanistan, I think, a bit more than 100,000 troops. The Russians have sent three times or four times more just during two years. And they have lost, obviously, 300,000. Their ability to suffer is not understandable to us at all.
1: Initially, you said one thing that could potentially break the current attrition stalemate, whatever you would call it right now, the current as allusionally said, World War I-style trench warfare, is air superiority and by Ukraine. What can be done to accelerate the provision of air power to Ukraine?
0: I think there are some activities already happening, and we may see in uh, in the next two or three coming months some results. I'm talking about F-16 or some other long-range capabilities like Taurus, Scalp, ATAKAM's uh, missiles, they can change the game. But I think that if West have decided that uh, we do not scare escalate anything and we will send this, this kind of capabilities over there, then we may see the change.
1: Lastly, is there any other point about Estonia's contribution to this conflict or Estonian security or European security that you'd want to make, that you want to emphasize? Question I didn't ask, but something that's on your mind regarding this
0: conflict. I think we have to do more. Also Estonia. Doesn't matter how small we are and how much we have done so far. We actually have to do more. We should train more people than we have done so far. So we at least have to continue. But we we should also look how we support Ukraine physically with ammunition or whatever. And I think we should raise the support because If Ukraine is losing this conflict, that will have the impact to Estonia too. And psychologically, more than militarily and physically. Psychologically, there are people who are starting to see that, okay, Russia can do, West will not support, and they will transfer it to our situation. They will say, maybe we should not trust NATO at all, because for simple people, there is no difference, maybe. Between us and Ukraine, and we belong to NATO and Ukraine not. They see just how much bigger Western countries are supporting Ukraine. So we must give the example to others and we have to keep to show the initiative. Even it's very painful for all of us because I see it back at home how my units are training Ukrainian units and they cannot do what they need to do. They have over hours and all this. But so far, I think we, we have this kind of natural support also. General, thank you so much for your time. This was really interesting. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.